Welcome to One Step Ahead. Technological innovation and the need to live more sustainably are profoundly reshaping how we travel, work and play. In this podcast, business leaders and industry disruptors break down how they're adapting to these trends, preparing for what's next and helping to build a brighter future for our planet. One Step Ahead is brought to you by Amundi ETF, the European champion of exchange-traded funds. To learn more about how you can keep your investments ahead of change, visit amundietf.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice and or an offer to buy financial products. Hello, I'm Libby Potter, and in this episode of One Step Ahead, we're looking at green bonds. A green bond is a very simple and impactful way to invest for climate action, as we're about to find out. We'll be exploring how this booming market has grown and we'll dig into some real-life examples of eco-friendly projects funded by green bonds. We'll also look at the difference between green bonds and green loans. I'm joined by two guests who know a lot about this subject. Sean Kidney, CEO and co-founder of the Climate Bonds Initiative and Samu Slotter, Global Head of Sustainable Finance at Danske Bank. So hello and welcome to you both. First of all, I'd like to ask why sustainable issues are so important to you. Sean, would you like to go first? Well, you know, it's pretty straightforward in a way. (laughs) We have an existential crisis. We are looking down the track at a freight train coming towards us. And the freight train, by this I mean climate change. If you speak to a climate scientist, good luck finding one that's willing to speak to you because they're so annoyed that we've been ignoring them for the last 30 years, they will tell you that we have an extraordinary challenge, that we are looking at the moment of effectively wholesale destruction of the way we run our world, of our society and economy, because we have been travelling at the worst possible trajectory of climate change for the last 30 years. Some of the senior scientists I speak to are depressed, very depressed, because they tell me, in the words of one retired professor, he doesn't see a future for his grandchildren. He does not see a future for his grandchildren. Wow. Because he thinks things are so grim. Now, you know, I can give you some details, like the fact that we've currently got the highest GHG concentration in the atmosphere ever in human history since humans have been alive on the planet. And we are heading to more than double that by the end of the century. Sean, can you explain what that is? You used an abbreviation and I just want the... There's about 420 grams of per, par, parts per million of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, CO2 equivalent. And it was um, 250 in the mid-1800s. And we're heading to 1,000 ppm, four times the level of the mid-1800s. What does that mean? Well, put it this way. If you've been in a meeting room for three hours with the air conditioning not working, talking about some arcane topic in finance and the atmosphere is getting groggy and you are getting sleepy because the air conditioning hasn't been working, that is 1,000 ppm. Our brains slow down. We become stupider. Now, imagine the whole atmosphere is like that at 2100, which is currently what we're expected to. The great irony about this is just the time we need our faculties to fix an existential problem, humans will become stupider if we don't act very quickly, putting aside the other bags. Now, so I'm looking at a situation where I think there is a reasonable risk now. It's all about risk. We're risk people. There is a reasonable risk of species extinction in the next century. What the hell? We wouldn't get in a plane if we had a 2% chance of a crash. We are heading into a world with chances of 
disaster for humans being above 50% and species extinction still probably in the single digits, but starting to appear. This is just like crazy. And you know, it's easy, it's simple. The crazy thing about it is to do this, to fix this, is very simple. Okay, we've got to switch to clean energy. We've got to switch to clean transport. We've got to change the way we manage the planet in terms of our land use. But we know what to do. There's no rocket science. We've got to implement technologies that are already out there. Yes, we're going to have to look at how to make them financially viable, like the rate air capture. But actually, the technologies are out there now. we just got to scale them up. And you know what's more? It's going to take a lot of capital, like a lot of capital, somewhere between 30 and 90, probably closer to 90 trillion by 2050. But we have the capital. We are swamped by capital. And we know where to put it to work, which is shifting the planet to clean and green. And if we do it, it's, a, it's an investment boom. It's 90 years of extraordinary levels of investment in infrastructure, which pays money as well. We can design it to pay money. So it's kind of like easy when you look at what we've got to do. It's just that we haven't, we've only just got started because we've been fiddling for the last 30 years and not actually taking serious action on this. We've could have put ourselves in a tricky spot, but it's doable. When I spoke to a climate scientist only a couple of weeks ago about just how grim things are, he said the good news is all the emissions that we have to address are human, are man-made. We can fix it. We have not yet got fee feedback loops cutting in where we lose control of the climate because of the Amazon collapsing, whatever. It's all about human emissions. So, hey, it's possible. So, Samu, it seems ridiculous to ask you after that uh, impassioned and undeniable uh, exposition, but what is your reasoning for wanting to become involved in the, this agenda? Well, I, I think Sean very well explained what this is all about. I mean, we're, we're facing existential threats, both, both from climate and biodiversity. And I think there are a number of ways we, we, we can address this. I mean, consumer behavior needs to change, policy needs to change, but clearly also uh, the financial markets have a huge role to play here. I mean, we need to redirect capital. Capital allocations are really important for the for the transition to, to more sustainable societies. And I think I agree with Sean that we know what needs to be done and we need to act on all of these three fronts, both as, a, as consumers, in policy and in the financial markets. And also, Samu, Danske Bank actually partnered with the CBI a few years ago, didn't it? Can you tell us why you decided to issue a green bond when you did? Yeah, so Danske Bank issued a green bond, first green bond in 2019. And uh, issuance of green bonds really fits fits into our overall uh, sustainability strategy. I mean, we, we want to redirect capital flows and green finance is, is one of the ways of doing that. And in order to, to give out green loans, we should be issuing first green bonds. And that's what we did then in, in 2019. I think important drivers for, for why we did it is that green finance, of course, creates transparency and it creates rules around what we classify as, as green. It also creates awareness amongst both our staff, our, our other stakeholders, uh, clients, investors, which, which is important. And finally, I think also issuing a green bond helps us to reach out to investors that we perhaps wouldn't otherwise reach out to. So you've pretty much answered my next question, which was about how the CBI helped you in this. But um. Maybe Sean can answer. Can you explain briefly what the difference is between a green loan and a green bond? Well, the answer is the difference between a loan and a bond. Green is just a characteristic of any instrument. 
Um, Goldman Sachs announced last week it's issuing green equity, for goodness sakes. Same principle. All it is is the proceeds are allocated towards something called green. And therein, <clears throat> therein lies a, a, a interesting discussion, as some who alluded to. But any financing of any kind can be allocated towards green, whether it be bonds, debt, different kinds of debt, like Schulstein or Covered Bonds Fund Brief, or equity, or, or direct investment of various sorts. The issue is, how's the money been used? And is it consistent with the growing understanding of where we need to allocate that money to be able to make a difference to the planet? And of course, for, for a bank, I mean, when we issue a green bond, what we commit to is to give out green loans on the other side of the balance sheet, which then match those terms that we've uh, set in the in the bond. So um, as Sean put it, it's, it's the same instrument. Any instrument can be green. But for a bank, a green loan would be matched by, by issuing then in the capital markets a green bond. So Samu, can you tell us what sort of projects were made possible, uh, you know, what green initiatives were made possible from the proceeds of the green bonds that you issued? So if we look at the, the green pool that we that we have, pool of green loans that, that are financed with the green bond issues, it's roughly split in, or 50% of that is buildings, green and energy efficient buildings. A large part is renewable energy, and then we have clean transportation. And I think it's quite interesting to to look at what the projects that we financed are and, and where they are geographically placed. I mean, Danske Bank, we're mostly active in the Nordics. Much of our lending is in the Nordic countries. And if we look at which type of projects take place in Denmark, which type of projects take place in Sweden, Norway, and Finland, it's very representative of what actually needs to happen in the real economy in those countries. Uh, if, um, if buildings across uh, that's across the the entire region so buildings consumes a lot of energy particularly in our part of the world where 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 heating is so important and that all needs to be decarbonized but we also need to bring down the the energy consumption of buildings buildings consume a lot of energy and the less they consume the less there is need to to produce that with 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 fossil fuel uh, produced uh, heat and, and and power so we're seeing green loads to to uh, uh, real estate across across the region but then here's where the country specific differences kick in we've seen in norway for instance projects to green transportation so electrified transportation one example would be financing to a, to a company called torghatten for electrified ferries uh, and these are big ferries i mean really large ferries so that would be one type of a project then in terms of renewable energy, one, for instance, interesting project would be an offshore wind park, Dogger Bank in, in the North Sea, a really large project. I, th- I actually think it's going to be the, the world's largest offshore wind park, 3.6 gigawatts. So when completed, fully completed. And I think that's, uh, that's equivalent of or able to provide power to, to 6 million households. So really big project. And that's one of the projects we've been involved in in last year. Can we talk a bit more, Sean, though, about the measurement and classification of these green financial instruments? It was, it's been touched upon already, but it's something that you know a lot about because of your work with the EU and obviously the CBI. Could you talk to me about how the CBI's taxonomy that you've developed sets standards for what constitutes a true green project? Well, it's simple in a way. Read the scientists' reports and avoid reading 
the government reports that are mediated by politics. It's as crude as that. <laughs> and when we've developed criteria and our taxonomy, we've gone to the domain experts in an area like transport, say, and said, what have we got to do here to meet our climate commitments, you know, as exemplified by the Paris Agreement? What does it look like? You know that the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the science reports are superb, but they all go to a member state committee. And then by the time it gets to a national climate change plan, they're saying, well, the IPC says this, but that looks really tough, right? What about we just do this? We just, you know, look. And then you've got a national climate change plan, which in most cases is way too weak compared to what we actually have to do globally. And so you've got this continual watering down for the political process, unfortunately, because of the lack of ambition on the part, on part of most governments to act commensurate with what the scientists are saying, the unmediated scientists. So we go to the scientists and we say, tell us what the issues are, what we've got to do. And we translate that into criteria. So when an investor or a bank uses bond certification criteria, it is what the science is saying, translated into a binary tool that can be used in financial markets. So of course, there's a translation exercise there. And as a result, you can have confidence that if you're investing in that kind of area, yes, there is a solid argument as to why it's consistent with meeting our targets, really. Uh, which um, then you can look at, well, as a fit low, the national climate change plans, a slightly separate issue. So that's how we've done it. And we've managed to convince the European Union, and I've been in various expert committees for years now, that they should do one and they should keep it science-based. And full credit to the European Commission for their willingness to entertain tough approaches to climate change, as exemplified by the commitment to the 2050 net zero target and now the 2030 55% carbon emissions targets, critically important targets reflected in the IPCC 2018 report and what the scientists say. And that's now represented in the taxonomy. Now, we're still having bun fights at the edges. You know, the truth is that national climate change plans in Europe have not caught up with either science or the European Commission's new 2030 commitment. And in that space between national climate change plans and the new commitments we have is an argument. Hang on, really? I've got to do that. Hang on. I don't know. And that's exactly what we're experiencing in Europe now as we have debates about what should be in the taxonomy. Necessary and overview debates and discussion. In The Economist last week, there was um, a comment on the EU taxonomy and they seem to suggest that it couldn't work without better disclosure. I don't know if that's something, Samu, you can talk about, about the fact that corporate disclosure is everything and without it, it the taxonomy will fail. Mm, yeah, of course we need disclosure, but that shouldn't. we shouldn't wait for that uh, to get going. I mean, I think everybody needs to accept that the taxonomy is not complete and sort of final form yet, but we still start using it. And of course, there will be data gaps. And I think the important thing is just to, to explain where the gaps are and, and how we manage that and, and wait for, for disclosure to, to improve. We can't sit around and just wait for, for more disclosure. We can get going with what we have now. Sean, can you um, actually talk about how the CBI plays a role in auditing the green bond proceeds? What do you expect in terms of reporting documentation? Well, it's important to note that we're not a government regulator. We provide a voluntary opportunity for people to do certification with some protocols and rules associated. Think of it as a green bond principle turned into mandatory. 
plus we attach a taxonomy you can use. And separately, we track all green bonds issued to the market for the purposes of reporting to index providers and investors. So we do expect people to get an independent review. It does not mean we will exclude a bond if it has got an independent review from our green bond listings. We take a very open approach. What counts is where the money's going, not necessarily the formality of the paperwork. Got to be clear about that. But there are a lot of investors who like the formality of the paperwork. Most investors do, in fact. And so we try and support them by making it clear. We do expect people to do post-issued reporting. And in fact, just, uh, just today, we've launched our... Uh, 40,000-word post-issuance reporting report, which is looking at who's reporting and how it's going. And I'm going to tell you, everyone is reporting. We're doing pretty well. There are a few people like small US munis that aren't for regulatory reasons. But generally, we're very good. We've done a very good job at the European Commission level on translating the science into appropriate criteria. So, Samu, let's step back a bit and, and just talk about the role of Danske Bank in the kind of general decarbonisation efforts of the um, the climate change initiatives. And what do you believe about your role when it comes to achieving that ultra ambitious, seemingly 1.5 degree global warming goal, uh, which was outlined in the Paris Agreement? Should Should your investors care about this? Uh, well, absolutely, I should care about this. And uh, I think even if we're now st- talking mainly green finance here, you, you are absolutely right that we need to we need to look at this at all finance, not just the green part of it. So so for us, for instance, as a bank, yes, we do have green loans, and that's an important part of our overall sustainability strategy. But it's still just a small piece of, of our total lending. We need also to look at the total lending. And that's what we're doing. Um, we have actually set a, a commitment uh, a bit more than a year ago that by 2023, we will have uh, a Paris aligned metrics in place for the entire corporate lending book. Uh, we're working on that. We will go through sector by sector our exposures, look at the, the, uh, the, the carbon intensity of that and set targets on how we can bring down, how, how we can reallocate capital within that sector so that, that we were aligned with the, with the goals of the Paris Agreement. And as I said, by 2023, we will have, have these metrics in place, but that doesn't mean that we wouldn't work with these issues already. And, and this sort of would look at, so what's Danske Bank's lending's impact on the climate? But there's also the other perspective to look at how climate change and climate policy will affect our clients and hence our risk profile. And, and we're also working on, on that analysis at the same time. So, so we're doing sort of TCFD, uh, Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure type of analysis of our entire corporate lending book. And, and these two uh, different metrics and types of analysis uh, will give us a, a good picture of, of both the impact that we have on, on climate, but also the, the, the risk that climate change poses on, on our lending. And, and we will be disclosing more information uh, on this shortly, probably already this summer, we'll come up with, with, with some information uh, on, on the progress uh, of, of these, uh, these workflows. You've touched on this already, Samu, but it, it seems that the Nordic countries are, in, as in so many fields, ahead of the game on this. And would you say that they are early adopters when it comes to ESG, environmental, social and governance issues? Yeah, I think, I mean, of course, um, we are a reflection 
of the societies we operate in as a bank. I mean, it's, it is our clients who, who are doing the decarbonization and, and, uh, and they are the ones who should be getting credit for it. Uh, but of course, that's then reflected in our, our loan book. And it is true that, that in, in some areas, for instance, in, in decarbonization of the, of the power system, the Nordic countries are probably a bit ahead uh, of, of, uh, of many other jurisdictions. So I think if we look at what's happening in the in the Nordic societies as a whole, there there are quite ambitious uh, decarbonisation targets. So so uh, Finland has set a decarbonisation target or climate neutrality target for 2035. Sweden 2045, uh, and uh, and that of course helps also the financial markets. There's a lot going on in this space because the companies need to take action. And, and that's probably one of the reasons why the countries, Nordic countries, are ahead in, in some areas. We need a combination of policy and financial market action. I, I would add there, Nordic countries kicked off the green bond market. Sweden is the, the largest per capita issuer of green bonds in the world. Finland, Denmark, Norway, they've all been drivers of green finance. There's a lot to celebrate. Yes, we're having arguments about boundary issues, such as forestry. This is inevitable. These are overdue arguments. These are discussions we should have had five years ago around the world, and for various reasons we didn't. But I just want to stress, we are talking about the world's number one green bond and green finance market globally, and we expect a lot more from the area. The real point about all of this is that it's not just about environment. It's also about risk. And fundamentally, for financial markets, it's risk that drives change. We're talking about significant forward risk of asset destruction, of portfolio managed destruction or collapse going forward if the worst of climate change comes up. That's what the primary driver for investors' concern around this is. They want to improve their chances to be able to pay our pensions when we finally retire in 2040. So... How do we do that? Well, one of the ways we do that is we make sure the enabling economy that we're investing in is sustainable and delivering sustainable returns. Well, that requires us to head off major risks to that sustainability of that economy. Climate change is a major risk. Biodiversity destruction is a major risk. There are other risks. Of course there are. But these are existential, humongous, elephant-sized risks that we have to address. So it's all about... What can you do as an investor? The truth is you can't do a huge amount by yourself. It's a bit like shifting the deck chairs on the Titanic. But there is stuff you can do. Buying green bonds is one. Greater engagement with the, at shareholder meetings and with your board of directors or the companies you're investing in is another, and so on. And then finally, it's about addressing what governments are doing, what state actors are doing, and what corporations are doing to shift their economies to a more sustainable level. And that's a, a meta push. And investors have to band together to do this, which we've been seeing with Scandinavian investors being a critical driver of this. We've seen a whole range of investor alliances come together over the last 10 years, most notably recently at the Climate Action 100 Plus, the Net Zero Asset Owners Alliance, and so on, who are taking much more aggressive positions inspired in some ways by NBIM in Norway, much more aggressive positions about how companies need to change to become more sustainable and now how governments need to change. And that's really important, really critical, because 
it's going to reduce forward risk of um, asset depreciation. But there is there's also a big opportunity in that I think for for companies. I mean, we, we know that the entire world needs to decarbonize. So if if you as a company develop the techniques and technologies for for doing that, that's of course a, a great asset when 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 others are coming a bit behind and 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 have um, a need for that type of technology. So I think I think the the companies in the region, the Nordic region, have have. Uh, have really embraced this. And we have some real leaders like Danfoss in, in Denmark in energy efficiency. You know, we're at this really curious point in history. This year, unlike two years ago before the pandemic, the shape of the future is now very clear. You do not get argument about this. It will be clean. It will be green. It will be climate resilient. The question now is about speed, how quickly we can get there. And that's very material to heading off catastrophe, by the way. We've got to get there in 10 years, not in 30 years. That, of course, provides extraordinary opportunity for companies who can take advantage of the change, which we're now certain is coming, and can get there first. And that's the Dan Fosses of the world, or the SSABs of the world in Sweden, who's now rolling out zero carbon steel. These are the companies that will prosper going forward because they can, they can surf the wave. And that's the change, I think, that this year brings to markets. So it's kind of a, a green rush rather than a gold rush, potentially. <laughs> so finally, just to wrap things up, is there one takeaway that you can tell our listeners um, to bear in mind when it comes to green finance? Samu, you try first. Yeah, I, I think um, green financial instruments are, of course, a very good thing for the market. Uh, they create transparency, they create create awareness, uh, and now with with the taxonomy, uh, we also get real standardization of, of the criteria. So that's that's a good side of, of Green's finance. But at the same time, again, I think it's it's important that we don't only focus on on the green part. We need to ensure that all finance takes into account sustainability and that we get that uh, those capital flows shifted. And Sean, we're in the middle of a revolution. The revolution has begun. We've already got there with the rapid growth of green bonds and the daughters of green bonds, sustainable, social, resilience, blue, etc., all using the same format. This is a market that will hit a trillion years, a trillion dollars of issuance this year. That's substantial. That's material. It's now leaching into other sectors, other instruments. We now see Goldman Sachs announcing this week that they're going to issue green equity, for goodness sake. It's spreading everywhere. It's a single universe of green stuff, which when you understand that change is now certain, the shape of the future, represents lower risk, represents opportunity to get it. Of course, we do have to now drive the change. And that driving of the change to make it rapid enough to head off the catastrophes we're looking at will require strong state action and strong collaboration between the holders of capital, institution investors, and governments. And it will require banks to be the brokers, the intermediaries, the oil in the wheels of the financial sector, but of a green focus. I mean, I want Danske to be a 100% green bank. If we start looking at the range of things that has to be done to make the economy green and resilient, which covers everything in the economy, we can do that. We will do that. Come back in 10 years' time, Samu, we'll be able to have a glass of champagne about the incredible changes at Danske and your peer banks in Scandinavia. 
absolutely. Well, I will do that. I'll I think we should you. do that before 10 years from now. <laughs> I hope yeah, I was you're gonna right. Say. <laughs> so before we leave, um, what's the best way for listeners that are interested to keep up to speed on some of these topics, Sean? We have a ton of information at our website, www.clientbonds.net, and you can subscribe to news. But honestly, just go online and search for green bonds or climate bonds. You will be swamped with stuff. But the most important thing I would say is get your pension fund, your insurance fund active in this. They need to be aware of the risks. They need to be aware of the opportunities and they have the capital. If they shift, well, it's like getting a herd of elephants rumbling across the plains. Everything will shift. And same to you, Samu. How can listeners keep abreast of what's happening at Danske Bank in terms of green initiatives? Yeah, so for Danske Bank's own green bond issuance, uh, our our investor relations website would be a good place to start. So danskebank.com and then investor relations somewhere there. Uh, And then... um, we, of course, do a lot also for, for our clients in, in green finance space. And, and a good place to, to follow the, the activities that we're doing would be uh, the LinkedIn page for, for Danske Bank large corporates and, and institutions. Sean Kidney, CEO and co-founder of the Climate Bonds Initiative, and Samu Slotter, Global Head of Sustainable Finance at Danske Bank. Thank you both. Please rate, review and follow One Step Ahead wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Libby Potter. Thanks for listening. One Step Ahead is brought to you by Amundi ETF, the European champion of exchange-traded funds. To learn more about how you can keep your investments ahead of change, visit amundietf.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice and or an offer to buy financial products. Amundi ETF designates the ETF business of Amundi Asset Management. Amundi Asset Management and its affiliated companies does not in any way endorse or promote any companies or securities mentioned in this episode. The opinions expressed at the time of recording do not necessarily reflect the views of Amundi Asset Management and its affiliated companies and may vary from time to time.